2: for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: That's right. That's right. I'm Diosa and I'm Mala. We're the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novela, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast.
2: Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen.
0: Here at the Black Information Network, we know how important it is for you to start your week off energized, engaged, and enlightened. There are always major stories that break over the weekend, and we feel you should know about the ones we are talking about today. So stay tuned for our weekend recap, featuring the author of the book, Trap History, and the executive editor of Atlanta Daily World, Mr. A.R. Shaw. This is the Black Information Network Daily Podcast, and I'm your host, Ramses
1: Ja. All right. Mr. Shaw
0: It hasn't been too long. It's only been a couple
1: of weeks. How you been? A couple of weeks, man. But a lot has happened since we last uh, got a chance to catch up. Indeed. Indeed. Actually,
0: we got a lot to talk about
1: today. So let's not keep the people waiting.
0: Um, First up, this comes from Talking Points memo. I I know you saw this. Everybody saw this. But Lanisha Henderson was arrested last Thursday. And charged with attempted arson in the second degree and interference with government property after witnesses observed her pouring gasoline and allegedly attempting to burn down Martin Luther King Jr.'s childhood home in Atlanta. She appears to have posted about the imprisoned leader of a controversial conspiracy-fueled black supremacist sect in the hours leading up to the incident. And on Facebook, the final post on a profile that appears to belong to Henderson was made roughly four hours before the incident and features a reference to the leader of the new nabian, I believe that's how how it's pronounced, nation, Nuabian Nation. So I know you might know a little bit more about this, so please, you know, bring us up to speed.
1: Yeah, definitely. So this is is an an insane uh, incident. Someone caught uh, Lanisha Henderson, who was a former, uh, well, who is a US uh, Navy uh, vet. Mm-hmm. pouring gasoline on the porch of Dr. King's home here in Atlanta. Sure. And so, you know, the footage went viral and everyone is like, you know, what is what is wrong with this person? Uh, of course, uh two in retired NYPD officers were able to to stop her uh before she um uh, you know, struck a flame and initiated a fire. Mm-hmm. Uh which was great. Um but you you're right this you know there's a lot of layers to this particular story uh considering the tie in with uh Malachi York uh, of course Malachi York made uh major headlines probably like 20 years ago mm-hmm. <laughs> 20 years ago he uh he had this cult down uh, down in Eatonton Georgia which is about an hour away from Atlanta uh mm-hmm. had pyramids on the, on the properties uh, the sphinx it was just a uh, what, what a lot of people call a cult. And uh, he was convicted in 2004 of uh, of racketeering and and on sex abuse charges. Lanisha Henderson is 26 years old. So I'm just trying to figure out the correlation between wow. uh, Malachi and Henderson, because, you know, the age just doesn't, you know, it's, it's no I'm not, I'm not trying to I, I don't understand the correlation. Right. Like she would have been a child during a time when he was prevalent uh, with his movement. Um, and so I'm, I'm wondering if, if it's just, you know, something in closer, family or just something that she saw online and just acted upon the things that she was reading online, um. Because a family did say that she had some, she was suffering from mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was one of the reasons why she's still in the Fulton County Jail, because the judge said that, you know, she has, you know, mental health issues and and she's probably still a danger to society. So this whole Malachi York tie in is really intriguing and very layered.
0: You know, there's there's something uh, familiar about this story, because I have a friend that I went to high school with. And we played football together and great guy. And, you know, after some time, after everyone graduates, goes away to college, does what they do, um, we ended up bumping back into each other. And he was an entirely different person. And I could tell that there was some mental issues at play, but it was only expressed through... These sort of conspiracy theories slash black supremacist ideas. And so it was hard to determine whether or not this belief system worked well for people who had mental issues or if it was the cause. And, and so when I see this story, I'm like, huh, this sounds vaguely familiar because if I'm very, if I'm being honest with you, I was unfamiliar with Malachi York until this story. That wasn't something that made its way to me. Um, but you know, I have kind of seen, you know, being a black man, you know, you, you, you bump into people who, you know, they have all, all walks of life and, and some people, uh, especially with a name like Ramses, you know, there's some people who really want to pour. Into me. And a lot of it sounds, you know, uh, like it belongs to a shared reality and, and a shared history or a shared understanding of history. Some of it kind of pushes the boundaries like, Hey, you probably should think critically about these things that you've been taught. And then some of it is absolutely in the deep end where it's like, it's very difficult to follow people because again, it just is not, it, it might be too deep into the like esoteric Sort of new agey spiritual realm, and for most people who, again, subscribe to a shared reality, it's just a bridge too far. And so, I think you're right to question how in the world this made its way to her. But I, I believe the fact remains that it's it's probably not impossible because, for whatever reason, there is a belief system out there that, at least I've seen, works well for people who are might be dealing with some. You know some mental health issues, or might be looking for a way to resolve maybe some trauma they've experienced, or or something. And and this is not just for Black people. This is for a lot of people. As you know, this is why conspiracy theorists typically are kind of portrayed in the media as kind of like tinfoil hat wearers. Um, but I, I'm I'm learning that it might take a special kind of person to really be able to soak up this sort of stuff. So um, you know, I hope everybody ends up okay. Um, Obviously, I'm I'm glad that, you know, Dr. King's childhood home is safe. And this is an an ongoing uh, investigation from what I understand. So maybe we'll even find out more in the future. Moving on. uh, This comes from the Black Information Network. Black family in Denver says they were asked to provide payment before they placed an order at a Chili's restaurant. So uh, Markeisha Futrell-Smith filed a lawsuit last week alleging that her family was racially discriminated against at the chain restaurant during an April 30th, 2022 visit. Uh, And this comes from the root. Uh, Futrell-Smith, her husband and two children were the only black diners at Chili's where a manager approached them demanding they provide a valid form of payment before their orders were taken. This according to the lawsuit. So give us a bit more on this story.
1: Yeah. So, it, it, you know, it's, I've been to multiple chain restaurants and I've never had to put down a credit card before ordering a meal. Uh, but I think this is going to be one of those situations where it seems like a clear cut lawsuit that, you know, I don't I don't see how Chile can, can get away from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, especially, you know, with it being a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a section of Denver where uh, predominantly white. Um, them being the only black customers in the restaurant at the time and they're being asked for payment up front, mm-hmm. uh, which, is, which is very peculiar. Like it's something that I've never heard of uh, throughout my entire dining experiences. It, you know, it's just, it's just something that you, you just don't really hear. And so yeah. I think it's a clear cut case. I don't really see Chili it um, into court. I think they're going to settle uh, as soon as possible.
0: Sure. Sure. And you know, when you look at kind of what, what happened there, um, uh, from from what I remember, they had a, a server come to the table and they were trying to check with the server. Like, is this like the way you guys normally do things? And the server's like, no, that not at all. And then the ser- the manager of the restaurant grabbed the server by the arm, right? And then pulls the server away um, and like kind of reprimands the server. And so the, this family is witnessing all of this happen. And so from where they sit, there's really no other explanation other than, because, you know, a lot of times people will say, oh, you know, you're playing the race card. Oh, you know, whatever. But the truth of the matter is that often enough, the simplest explanation (laughs) is the right explanation. Um, And so because they've kind of done this and backed themselves into this corner, I think you're absolutely right. Um, A statement from uh, a spokesperson says, you know we value we value every chili's guest and take the responsibility of fostering an inclusive environment for all very seriously we do not condone or tolerate discrimination of any kind as the safety and well-being of our team members and guests is a top priority and again this is from a spokesperson named Jake Young so in the suit Futrell Smith alleges that the restaurant and its owner Brinker International Incorporated violated her family's civil rights and she is seeking a jury trial so, yeah, I think you're, you're right. It probably makes more sense to just settle this and make it go away. But um, I think another uh, added benefit is that, you know, with the story getting the coverage that it's getting, um, there will be less instances of this happening because, you know, it's, it really is humiliating and um, it, it's a lot to live with you know, to be reminded in person when you're with your family um, that you're a second class citizen. I know personally, um, if I go somewhere with my family, uh, it's very important for me to always function in the provider protector role. And when you end up in situations like this, it compromises or could potentially compromises your family's view of you in that role. Because we're in this restaurant. There's nothing I can do except walk away. I can't fight back. And so, you know, I I'd certainly hope that they settle this. But, um, you know, for a lot of people that have to deal with this type of um, reality, that don't have the capacity to take or the, or the wherewithal, or they just really aren't that type of person to litigate, although we live in a litigious society, um, they just kind of have to eat that. You know, and so um, I think that this is a win for everybody who, again, has to live a life as a second class citizen in 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 these situations. And so um, I, I applaud this effort and I am hope that th- that this changes the world a little bit more.
3: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. With BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com BIN today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash B-I-N.
0: I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family
1: Therapy.
2: My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it.
1: I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of.
0: Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily Podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. Woo! today's
0: guest is the author of the book trap history and the executive editor of atlanta daily world mr a.r shaw all right this from the black information network as well three officers have been fired and one suspended without pay after a black man was shot by police while while his vehicle was being repossessed outside his home in alabama this according to cnn Um, i'll share a bit Stephen Perkins, age 39, was fatally shot on September 29th after officials said he brandished a handgun with a light towards an officer with the Decatur Police Department. And this, according to the Alabama Law Enforcement Agency, Decatur police were initially called to Perkins home after he allegedly pulled a handgun on a tow truck driver as he was attempting to repossess a vehicle at the man's home. On Thursday, which was December 7th, Decatur Police Chief Todd Pinion announced that the city's mayor decided to fire the three officers and suspend one following a hearing that determined the officers violated policy. So I know that's it in a nutshell, but I know there were some more details to this. So so help us out.
1: Yeah, so, you know, what's what's interesting is that the police chief uh, basically told the truth, and we're, which is so interesting but that that uh, you re- you rarely hear instances where uh you know and I, I guess this early that an officer you know really tell the truth and the police officer said that uh well the, the police chief said that the officer didn't order perkins to drop the weapon mm-hmm. and that was the, that was the, the the gist of the entire thing was that uh they you know they 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 did identify themselves but they never said you know drop your weapon mm-hmm. which is which which it would you know would be asked to do before right. firing um, so, uh, yeah, they they didn't follow protocol, and you you see these type of inc- incidents happen all the time, but you rarely see uh, officers uh, reprimanded for for doing things of this nature. Um, yeah. And so, uh, you know, this is something that that's that's not normal, but it should be normal in terms of when officers don't f- uh, follow protocol yeah. that they are reprimanded for, for yeah. the things that they do.
0: Yeah, absolutely, accountability. That's really. what the whole Black Lives Matter movement was about, you know, accountability, you know, are there consequences for taking a black life unnecessarily? So um, yeah, that's really something that we've been seeking for a long time. So to see it uh, is certainly refreshing. The thing is, uh, and I, I know you agree with this, but I think that the most disturbing part of this though is that it shouldn't have happened in the first place. This man lost his life. And when you think about it, uh, at least according to the family actually you know i'll 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 read a little bit more just to kind of get us get this rounded out a bit so um quote we now know the officer identified themselves as police and ordered mr perkins to get on the ground prior to the officer firing rather than ordering, ordering him to drop the weapon at the time as we initially reported the morning of the shooting uh opinion said in a statement that means we also erred in stating Mr. Perkins refused to drop his firearm prior to the shooting. I apologize for the inaccurate description of the encounter in our initial statement. So again, this is according to the police chief, as you stated. But Perkins' family argued that the 39-year-old didn't owe money on his car, citing that they had found financial receipts proving he wasn't at risk of being in an active status of repossession and that monthly payments were processed through his financial company. And so when I say that this shouldn't have happened in the first place. I think that there is an interesting intersection here. So let's say for instance, you know, the person listening to us have this conversation today, this person, uh, has a car note and they pay the car note every month. Right. And from their perspective, they have the receipts, the car note is there. Uh, and it's coming out of the account. You know, it's, it's their car. This is the arrangement. They've honored it. So that's that. Right. And then. A tow truck comes. And tries to take their car away. You can imagine very easily that that could that could be a scam in and of itself. Why is there a tow truck here? I pay for my car. I don't know who that is, but they're not taking my car that I pay for. Right. And. In this country, we do have a second amendment that allows you to defend yourself and defend your property uh, using a gun. And so if you take your gun and you say, hey, you're not taking my car from me, you have not broken any laws yet. And of course, you know, the reason that we have our due process and, and indeed the critical process theoretically for the entirety of the criminal justice system is to make sure that people are innocent until proven guilty, right? And so if no crime has been committed yet and no one has been proven to be guilty of anything, then when the police show up and do not order a person to drop their weapon, that person ends up dead. And then the family says this whole thing shouldn't have happened in the first place. This sounds like something that, again, should never have happened. Right. And 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 when you look at it, I think that a lot of people's impulse, uh, certainly beyond our community, but a lot of people's impulse is to look at things like, well, the police are absolutely right all the time. And the police always get the best optics when reexamining in hindsight and that um, there are unlimited levels of forgiveness. And I think that the reason for that is that a lot of times there's other people who don't Their lives, they never interact with the police. They don't realize that police are human beings that make mistakes and that situations come about in life that uh, disproportionately affect black people negatively, of course, but they come about in life that cause for there to be misunderstandings, frictions, things that need to be resolved peacefully. And when you introduce the police into an equation where there are black people who are exercising their Second Amendment rights, often enough, those people end up brutalized or dead, you know. And when I say brutalized, I'm referring specifically to the incident in Alabama that we covered uh, where the man was tasered on the hood of a car. I, I've, exactly. His name escapes me right now, but he was tasered and he ha- and the officer pulled a gun out of his pocket that he's legally allowed to own. It was legally registered to him. Pulls a gun out, starts laughing and tases him in the back. Right. And had that been a gun in his back, who knows what would have happened? And so, again, that intersection of black people exercising their Second Amendment rights, of police involvement, of life happening. The man in Alabama was changing a tire. This man was protecting his property from what could have theoretically been a scammer, according to the family, at least, because he paid his bills, according to them. They got the receipts. So this is just one of those situations that is just exceptionally unfortunate. There's no recovery. No matter what the lawsuit pays, it's not going to bring him back. His life was cut short. He was still in his 30s. And based on the, the family's account, paying for everything, the police and the tow truck just showed up to his house and he lost his life, perhaps because of a banking error or because of whatever. So um, sad all the way around. Sorry, that's just it, it, it's tough to keep covering these sorts of things. So anyway, we'll end on a on a positive here, um, something that we can we can we can all be proud of. So Mayor Andre Dickens teamed up with several hip hop artists, collectors and educators to host the Hip Hop 50 Time Capsule event at Atlanta History Center. Curated by hip-hop historian New Face educator Dr. Jocelyn Wilson and the Mayor's Office of Cultural Affairs, the Hip-Hop 50 Time Capsule features rare items from Atlanta's hip-hop scene. Some of the items include mixtapes, posters, books, and other memorabilia. Trap History, a book authored by ADW's executive editor A.R. Shaw, is featured in the Time Capsule, and far be it for me to state another man's brief, sir... So first off, congratulations. And second of all, please give us more.
1: (laughs) Yes, man. It's, you know, you know, one thing that we can all uh, say that Atlanta is very, the city of Atlanta has really uh, stepped up stepped up when it comes to hip hop 50. Of course, there have been celebrations all year long uh, nationwide uh, honoring the 50th anniversary of hip hop. Mm-hmm. And the city of Atlanta has really uh, you know, put forth a great effort in just highlighting uh, Atlanta's contribution to the genre of hip hop. Mm-hmm. And one of those things that they uh, wanted to to kind of end the year with was uh, a time capsule. And so they're creating this. They teamed up with the Atlanta History Center, which is a, a, a phenomenal institution in Atlanta that 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 archives uh, Atlanta history. And so, uh, of course, like you said, they're gonna they different uh, items from uh, where, there, where there's music CDs, albums, uh, shirts, uh, you know, prayer for Nia, tickets, uh, the book trap history. Uh, yeah several items that will be in a time capsule and they're going to bury the time capsule and they're going to open it 25 years from now on the 75th anniversary of hip hop. Okay. And so it's just amazing to see, uh, you know, all you know, this entire year of of celebrating hip hop. Of course, I'm not sure if uh, you, know, you know if you got an opportunity. But last night, CBS did a, a tribute to Hip Hop 50, um, where there was different performances uh, from from different decades and eras of hip hop. And so, yeah, it's just a this is a uh, another thing that you know we can be proud of uh, in terms of a cultural movement. And, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, big up to Mir Andre Dickens for actually uh, getting behind this movement, because I haven't really seen too many other cities really uh, pay homage in the way that uh, Mir Andre Dickens has when it Mm -hmm. comes to celebrating Hip Hop 50.
0: Sure, sure. Well, um, obviously, again, it's something that we can all be very proud of, uh, something that initially. People. Relegated to the margins of society, initially something that people called jungle music and, and, you know, really had a lot of negative things to say about it. To see now that it has outlived a lot of its early critics, that it, in its own right, has provided 50 years, over 50 years at this point, of entertainment, of dialogue, of insight into Black life of, you know, many, many different um, contributions have have been realized through hip-hop, through the language of hip-hop and the culture of hip-hop. And we've been able to share and indeed influence, share ourselves and influence the world with this. Um, That's This is absolutely something that we can be proud of. And I think that I'll take that a step further for your book, to be included in this time capsule in one of the most prominent and, you know, influential cities on the hip hop map. Uh, I, I think that congratulations should be extended to you because that's, that's fantastic. And, and I've always been a fan of yours and, you know, your legacy continues. So, you know, shout out to you, man. That's that's big news. (laughs) I love it. So so, so, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, you know, as always, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for all the work that you do, um, with the Atlanta daily world. And, uh, thank you for spending a little bit of time with me from time to time to talk about these stories and keep the people informed. Once again, today's guest is the author of the book trap history and the executive editor of the Atlanta daily world, Mr. A R Shaw. This has been a production of the Black Information Network. Today's show is produced by Chris Thompson. Have some thoughts you'd like to share? Use the red microphone talkback feature on the iHeartRadio app. While you're there, be sure to hit subscribe and download all of our episodes. I am your host, Ramses Ja, on all social media. And join us tomorrow as we share our news with our voice from our perspective. Right here on the Black Information Network Daily Podcast.